Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a roundup of the Carabao Cup results and a look at the upcoming ties from the last 16 draw. A preview of the weekend Premier League action, where the biggest fixture's got to be Spurs versus Liverpool. Uh, we'll have a look at the key games across the wider AFL. And we do have some news for you about Spin the Wheel. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, we'll get into the Carabao Cup and Loro Man City have finally lost a game. Uh, went up to St James's Park and lost 1-0. Thoughts on that? Well, first and foremost, it's brilliant for the competition, isn't it? Because that opens it right up. I think you boys have spoken about the Carabao Cup in the past being a good opportunity for silverware, but it becomes a brilliant opportunity for probably every side in the Premier League that's still in it now. And teams like Newcastle will really fancy their chances. But one thing that struck me about Newcastle is I think we can look at their squad now and say that they can make wholesale changes and still look fairly strong. Every single position, they seem to be able to take players out, put players in and still look really good. And they played against, all right, it was maybe a second string Man City, but a second string Man City is still Grealish, Alvarez, Akanji, Guardiol, Ake, Calvin Phillips. I, I actually didn't watch the game, but I've heard he didn't have a, an amazing one. Um so obviously negative for him. But I think really impressive for Newcastle. We're worried about how they were going to adapt to life having European fixtures. But they made a lot of changes there and their team still looked pretty good. Other than I think the uh, the centre-back depth is probably not as good as the rest of the squad. But talk about Isaac and Wilson. You've got if Gordon and Barnes aren't there, then Almiron and um, maybe Murphy are. If you take Jalinton, Tanali and Bruno Gamarish out, you've still got players like Willick. You've still got players like... Longstaff. So I think that was a really impressive win for them last night. Although I didn't see it, I've heard it was a good performance. And I think maybe they'll be looking to go one step further um, than they did last year in reaching the final. Um, but yeah, the main thing about that is that Man City are out and that's brilliant because a lot of teams will be licking their lips. And I think, I don't know whether you'll come onto it, teams like Brighton will be kicking themselves because that could have been a good opportunity for them to open their silverware account at the top level. But uh, yeah, all round, great that Man City are out. Yeah, Newcastle's Newcastle's rewards for beating the treble winners Man City um, was in a way was in a way tie to Man United in the next round of the cup, which is obviously a uh, repeat of the final last year. Um, the game itself, I actually did watch it, and Man City completely dominated in the first half without obviously getting the goal, and then Eddie Howe made a couple of changes for the second half, and it was like it was. It's one of the, you know the cliche like a game of two halves. It was just that down to a tee. And Newcastle come out in the second half and absolutely dominated and fought and scrapped for everything. And Anthony Gordon was the epitome of that. There was one one moment in the second half where he sort of sprinted from the left hand side to the right hand side of the pitch and he snapped someone. It was Kovacic, I think. I think from behind, but it was like such a clean tackle that he couldn't. The ref couldn't give a foul for it which is rare these days. And the St. James's Park like crowd just went absolutely mental. And it was really sort of a sign of how good and how positive things are at Newcastle. And also, it's, it's, it's actually one of the things I love about the English game is that like sometimes a tackle or like someone working really hard obviously can be cheered for just as much as a goal. Um, you are right, Newcastle's um, strength and depth was on show. Definitely. Um, a worry I would suggest would be Isak had to come off injured, although he said he, he was feeling OK after the game. And Wilson missed the game because he has a tight hamstring. And those two, as we spoke about before, 
can be a bit injury prone. And if they all of a sudden get injured at the same time, then there will be some issues there. But um, a great result, great result for the competition. Um, obviously, it's a great result for a Man United fan as well, because you just don't want City to go and do the quadruple, which has never been done before. Um, and it's just, I think it just makes the... It makes the season feel a little bit more alive because it like obviously before the last sort of six games in the Premier League, especially, City have just won every game, not at a canter, but they've they've managed to win every game, get all the the points on the board. And it just feels like all like they might just be sort of easing their way to another treble quadruple. So it's nice to see. Yeah, I I see that Pep was interviewed after the game and sort of was a bit like oh, what, you really thought we were going to do the quadruple? No, I think a treble's enough type thing, which for me was like sure fire sign that he was really pissed off about it and he was thinking about quad this year. Um, just one thing that, uh, just of note really, I've not seen any explanation for it or anything like that, but Haaland made the trip and then yeah. sat on the bench unused in the second half, even at 1-0 down. I know sometimes Pep does these little weird things, but... They couldn't get a plane home last night, so they were having to get a coach back. Just struck me as an odd move to drag him all the way up to Newcastle to not give him any minutes. I know if City win at a canter uh, and he's not used, then that's fine. But the whole point in him being there is if you one nil down and need rescue and you bring your freak on that just scores goals, but he left him unused. So was really surprised at that. Yeah, it was a it was gone. It was a completely it was a strange decision based on the fact that Guardiola kicked off, didn't he, about the coach and the and not being able to get a plane on the way back. So you're thinking he's only going to take players there who absolutely need to be there and who he's going to use. And yeah, you are right. Um, I wonder if he's got some sort of little niggle and he just wanted him on the bench as a sort of um, almost a psychological thing for the Newcastle players to think. Ah, Harlan's. There, but I, I don't know. Yeah, it's strange, strange decision. And but you know what, Pet, he does these things, doesn't he? He's he is the ultimate winner and the biggest sore loser. And he's so he's so sarcastic and patronizing when he when he loses, and he's just a bad loser, which is not really the worst trait in the world, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so boys, we'll move on from the Newcastle City game um to you, I think, Tomo, you touched on Newcastle go away to Old Trafford in the next round. Uh, Man United came through fairly comfortably against Palace, which is the game went completely how I didn't expect it because we had bulk of the possession. We looked comfortable. We looked like we were popping the ball off. The crowds were loving it rather than getting jittery. We looked solid at the back. Um, that was a bit of a breath of fresh air, albeit against second string Palace. Yeah, but it was um, second string United, wasn't it? So, yeah. Um... But yeah, little quirk about that um, that Carabao Cup draw. That is the twelfth home cup draw in a row that United have got. So imagine yeah. doing. Imagine I've seen being... rumours about like heated balls and stuff like that. And the uh, uh, was it Don Goodman did the draw? Apparently, he looks down when he picks the Newcastle ball out because he's ex Sunderland to send him to Old Trafford. But I don't know yeah. if that's a bad tie anymore. Yeah. No. Um... That'll be a good game, though. But yeah, on to the United Palace game. It's a perfect, sort of a perfect result, a perfect performance. Everything that Eric Ten Hag tried sort of came off. Garnacho got some minutes, got the goal. Hannibal got another, got another um, good stint in, and he looked really good. Casemiro, or oh, oh, Casemiro, that was his best performance um, of the season by a country mile. 
and all of a sudden you're thinking, and I know it was, um, um, let me just caveat all of these this praise on the fact that we, we obviously are playing Palace's second string. But um, so it'll be interesting to see how we get on against Palace's first team this this weekend. But yeah, Casemiro looked unbelievable. Um, Mason Mount looked really good. Come off after 45, um, a planned substitute. He wasn't injured. The 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 most impressive um, aspect of the game would be Sofian Amrabat. 60 minutes from left back. He's obviously not a left back. Says he wasn't left back. Um, sort of played like an inverted centre mid slash left back and he was spraying long balls he just looked like a Man United player and he and do you know what I, I loved about his, his post-match interview where he come out and said look I'm a, I'm a midfielder but I don't care where I play as long as I play and as long as, as long as I help the team and I'll do anything the manager asks me and when you just compare that to the current situation with Jaden Sancho it's like night and day you and as a United fan, you just want you want players in your team like Amrabat, who looks like he's so happy to be there, and and he he looks like he's he's grateful for the opportunity to play at Old Trafford, and he's gonna he's gonna try and grab that opportunity with both hands. So yeah, it was nice to see. Yeah, good good result for United. Laurie, did you catch any of United Palace? Yeah, I watched it with you, mate. Um... Yeah, you did. You're right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice to see some positivity off the back of a win. And I think it's important. I thought Man United played like they looked like they had a little bit of pressure off, whether that was because it was the League Cup, whether that was because it was the Second Street Palace, maybe because they won at the weekend and they felt that they were in credit a little bit. But this is how things can start snowballing. That's why I say it's so important to be positive about your team when you pick up points in the league and any wins are win. You're into the next round of the Carabao Cup. Suddenly it's back-to-back wins and you go into Palace now. I think it's Palace again, isn't it, at the weekend, full of confidence. Um, so time and place to be negative. Glad to see you hyping everyone up. No need to caveat it against Palace's second stream. Uh, second stream, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And uh, hopefully, from Man United point of view, you can go and do it again at the weekend. But positivity, this is what needs to happen. A bit more of a positive narrative behind the Man United players. They can play with the shackles off a little bit, and you'll see more from them. Lauro, you know, you know me. You've known me for what twenty years now. You know I'm as fickle as they come. So. One day I'll be in a bad mood and I'll be negative about United. The next day I'll be pos- I'll be in a good mood and I'll just be positive. So, but yeah, you it's are. that football cliche, isn't it? It's just mad what a win does, isn't it? You suddenly yeah. got two wins, as Laurie's exactly saying, two wins, two clean sheets. I'm looking at Palace home, Galatasaray home. I think a couple of winnable league fixtures, and suddenly thinking, well, we're unbeaten across October. I don't know if we concede a goal. Um, but yeah, that's. It's like but no, a... I think you need to be better as football fans. I think it's a specific problem with Man United players. If Yeovil lose a game or Leeds lose a game, I feel like that. I feel absolutely crap about it. You think all your players are shit, and the manager needs to. But you need to show support outwardly. That's what being a supporter is. It's not just you know when Man United were winning everything in the nineties. We win the league every year, and suddenly we've got a country full of Man United fans that have hardly stepped foot in Manchester. You've you've <laughs> you've got to support them through the bad games as well as the good ones. Um, so yes, everyone it's natural to feel fickle and want to be negative after a loss. But I think Manchester United in particular, it's like one extreme to the other, and those negative extremes really really hamper the team, in my opinion. So the outside noises, the more positive they can be, the better you'll do, and that's what being a supporter is all about. But there we go, each to their own. Oh. You're right, and I've been DMing Marcus Rashford saying, chin up, mate, but he's yet to get back to me. But if he has seen it, I know it'll mean a lot to him. Boys, we move on. Um, Laurie, come back to you. You touched on Brighton will be kicking themselves 
um, about about going out the Carabao Cup when you see Man City going out and a team that's progressing so well. But uh, lost one nil to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and it was a uh, Nico Jackson goal uh, which settled it. Yeah, well, maybe the floodgates will open for young Nico now uh, going into the Premier League, but I wouldn't bet on it. And I just think, look, Chelsea are, again. It's easy to be fickle. Chelsea, I think, have got a good setup and they can be a good team there, particularly with Maurizio Pochettino. But when you've got strikers that aren't putting the ball in the back of the net, you need goals to be chipped in from all over the rest of the pitch. And that hasn't been happening either. And that's the clear problem. We've said it every time. But they are going to pick up points because they're still a good side. And I just think that maybe that maybe that could be a catalyst for them to kick on in the Premier League. But they just feel like a team. I mean, those stats about... I think they'd be bottom the last 35 games or something that they've played. They'd be bottom of every single Premier League era that's ever been, or they'd be relegated in every every single um, era that's ever been. Yeah. And they just need something to turn the tide. And it's obviously up front or it's it's from people in the midfield or, or even anywhere on the pitch just to take, take them by the scruff of the neck. And I think it comes down to maybe that that um, overuse of the youth again. So there's, 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 there's overbalances and that sort of thing. You haven't got good enough goal scorers at the club and you haven't got anyone chipping in. But the EFL, as much of a Mickey Mouse trophy as it is, maybe you can take positives from beating a Brighton team. I don't know what kind of team Brighton put out the other night. I don't know if it was weakened, but generally they can rotate and be quite good. So there's lots of positives for them to take from that and they'll they'll have to try and use that to go into the Premier League. But um, the jury's still out for me on Nico Jackson. I'm not going to start praising him just because he's, he's put one in. Well, you think as well, like, as a striker, you get a goal and it's like, right, absolutely buzzing. Who have we got at the weekend? Oh, you're suspended, Nico. You've got five yellow cards in five Premier League fixtures and you mm. missed the derby against Fulham. But maybe a chance for Brozier to come in. Obviously, he had a long layout over injuries. I think he was quite highly rated beforehand. And wouldn't it be great to see him come back in and start smashing the goals in? And then maybe you can find a combination with Brozier and Nico Jackson. I don't know. There's, I think right. there's a lot of work to do for Pochettino, but... Where was Brozier, Laurie? Was he at Southampton where he was Southampton, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he looked lively, yeah. didn't he? I'd be interested to see if Poch gives him a chance. He gave a few of the youngsters a chance in pre-season, like Matston and things like that. So if Jackson is suspended and Brozier can take that chance, maybe that could be the goals that Chelsea, Neetel and Kunku are back. Uh, boys, just a roundup of, of some of the other teams. You touched on Prem teams that would be looking to go on to win it now that City are out. Arsenal went through, uh, 1-0 win against Brentford. Liverpool won 3-1 uh, against Leicester and West Ham won at Lincoln. So they're all through and we'll have one eye on getting through to the latter stages. And then a few lower league sides as well. So Mansfield from League Two, and we'll talk a bit more about them later And the pod went through. Uh, Exeter uh, beat Luton of the Premier League to go through and Port Vale through as well. Um, so they've got League One and cup form, both of those sides. And then just a look ahead to the last 16 draw. So Man United v Newcastle that we've touched on. Mansfield versus Port Vale, which probably isn't the dream tie for either side, but they'll be thinking if they can win that fixture and into the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup, that's another round through, more money for the club. And then they'd probably go on to get a pretty monster tie from there. Uh, West Ham versus Arsenal, always a good game. Exeter versus Middlesbrough. Uh, Chelsea hosts Blackburn and you've also got Ipswich versus Fulham as well. So um, not not the sexiest draw by any stretch of imagination, but some decent enough ties there. And all sides will now be, uh, as Laurie says, looking at have one eye on getting to Wembley and winning that. Boys, we move on to the Premier League. Uh, only really one place to start. Spurs versus Liverpool. Uh, fourth place versus second place. Both sides have had quite a lot of uh, 
airtime on the pod is surprising with their starts so far. Uh, Tombo, what's your thoughts on that one? Well, so my initial thoughts looking into that game, obviously Tottenham were at home. Um, so I thought, and obviously Ange, we, we all speak about how good they've been this season. Um, so I thought maybe, yeah, you, you fancy Spurs. But then I dug a little deeper and it turns out that Liverpool are massively Spurs' bogey team. Um, so Tottenham have only won one game from their last 23 against Liverpool across all competitions. Liverpool have won their last, have won nine of their last 11 games against Tottenham. And it feels like one of the most one-sided big six fixtures ever. And I just found, so for those reasons, and obviously for the fact that Liverpool seem like they're gaining a bit of momentum and hitting their stride, um, I've got a fancy Liverpool. I've just got a fancy Liverpool. So my prediction is 2-1 Liverpool and um, I fancy Mo Salah. He's got a good record against um, Spurs. He scored um, three goals against them in last season's Premier League fixtures. Um, so obviously likes playing against them. So yeah, I did, I, like I say, I did I did fancy Spurs initially, but looking, digging deep into the numbers and I, I fancy Liverpool now. Nice. I tend to agree with you. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think just looking at this fixture specifically, I think a massive key is going to be the availability of, of James Madison. And I don't know what the lay of the land is with that one. I don't know whether they've come out and said he's, he's definitely out or he's fit. But I've got a feeling because Tottenham have had such a good start to the season. They're at home and their fans are going to, the fans are going to be wanting them to get after Liverpool. I think they're going to see a lot more of the ball. And I'm not sure that that's going to suit them, particularly if James Madison's not there, because if they're going to have to attack against a Liverpool team that are maybe sat back and springing counter-attacks, they're going to need that little bit of guile, that little bit of something to unlock a defence. And on the flip side of that, I think not having a lot of the ball will suit Liverpool. And I think they'll be able to spring attacks. And I think it'll probably suit that dynamic front three that they've got. And you just said it there, Mo Salah. Well, I don't think we talk about him enough as a Premier League great, but he's just got probably more so than anyone in the division, maybe the, other than the couple at Man City, that ability just to take games away from teams. And they've started in very good form. So I think if it's fully fit, I don't want to sit on the fence. And my thoughts are sort of like maybe a score draw, but I do just fancy that that fixture suits Liverpool a little bit more at the moment. And I've been saying that I've been expecting a bump in the road for Liverpool because I don't trust them enough. That will go out the window if they go to Spurs and win at the weekend because that would be a big victory and, and a sign that they can mix it right at the top and, and sort of keep the keep the results coming and build on the form. So, yeah, I think I just fancy Liverpool as well, but I'd love to see Spurs win. Yeah, and the only thing I will add to that is for, um, from a Spurs perspective, um, is if, if they do manage to get the win against Liverpool... Um, They've got Luton, Fulham and Wolves and Villa in the next four. So you're thinking they're four winnable games, albeit obviously every game in the Premier League is tough. But if they get the win against Liverpool and then you feel you feel like momentum starts building, then Tottenham, like the... I want to say the ceiling is limitless, but um, but you can't see them sort of not like going past City at all, can you? But yeah, do you know what I mean? If they If they can get a positive result and then move that across into the um the upcoming fixtures then it'll be it'll be good for them as well but yeah like you say I, I agree with you Lauro and um yeah just fancy Liverpool I I think with that game I, I'm gonna take that Madison is starting um I've not seen too much on it Lauro other than he's been he's been, they said that he's been training on the grass but that seems a bit wishy-washy to me is he training is he 
is he with the team out on grass to me is like when you're injured your first player that's like your first stuff when you're back from injury is back out on the grass so um I just think that will come down to a midfield battle if he's playing Madison Saar Basuma Shabozlai McAllister and Curtis Jones seems to be playing a lot for Liverpool now in that midfield um I think that would just come down to that midfield they're evenly matched other side um and I, I just really yeah I, I can't call that at all I think both sides are so evenly matched I was just going to say, Murph, I'm looking at Eves Basuma tomorrow to show us what he can do. It's all right. He's had a good start to the season and he sort of grew into the game against Arsenal and it was impressive, particularly when Declan Rice went off. But if Tottenham want to be a big side, they need to be beating teams like Liverpool at home more often than not because I don't think their record against the top six is amazing. Um, can he take that game by the scruff of the neck? Can he overrun and help overrun that Liverpool midfield that is probably the area of the pitch for them where the jury's out? Okay, so Shabozla is impressing everyone at the moment, but losing those old heads in, in Jordan Henderson and Fabinho, can they be got at? And I'm looking at him, as much as I'm looking at James Madison to try and create and unlock the defence, we're looking at him to control the game and hopefully help Spurs win that middle-of-the-park battle. So... It will be very. I hope both teams are full strength because I think that would be a really good gauge on where both teams are and who the real deal is. But like you say, if 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 Tottenham can win that game, one, it'll be really impressive, and two, they can look at those fixtures coming up, thinking, "Wow, where can we go when everyone else is in Europe at the moment, and this is all we've got to concentrate on?" So, I'll certainly be tuning tuning in at our five on Saturday. Yeah, I say the, the midfield battle touched on there, but I just it just seems so as I've said, evenly matched like that, those fullbacks, like if Trent's back playing Trent and Robertson, and then you got your doggy and Poro who've made great starts. You got Son, Salah, you know, the Kulisevsky, Diaz. It just seems like, yeah, just such a well-matched game that I can't call. I'll just have to go for the draw just for that basis. But um, yeah, Spurs, if Spurs can get four points out of Arsenal and Liverpool, that is that is a massive, massive statement. And just a final point is Spurs might have only won one of their last 23 against Liverpool, but this is big and just Spurs, isn't it? Rather than Conte's or Mourinho's or I know Poch was there, but let's give big Ange a crack with this side and see if he can turn that around. Yeah, I was just going to say, Murph, we, I keep talking about since Ange Postacoglu's coming in, it's checking off those things that are undoing the Spursy things. They didn't used to come from behind. They wouldn't battle back to get a point against Arsenal. Can they go and take the game by the scruff of the neck and beat a, a genuine title contender or a team that have been title contenders in a lot of the seasons out of the last five or six? And if they can do that, it's another big checkpoint for Ange Postacoglu. Um, so it's about undoing all these Spursisms and turning them into a, a proper team. And hopefully this will be, a for Spurs fans anyway, another sign of that. Yeah, great, great game. And one that you're so glad that's on uh, television. So, boys, we'll move on to another game that's on TV. Uh, two exciting sides as well. Sixth place versus third place. Aston Villa versus Brighton, which is the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday at half 12. Um, Tomo, come to you with that one. Thoughts on, on Villa Brighton? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting matchup. Both teams obviously coming off um, disappointing midweek losses from the Carabao Cup. But like you think those those are the type of clubs who would put every. Oh, I suppose they're both in Europe, aren't they? But you think those are the type of clubs who would put everything into winning the trophy, and Carabao Cup would be their most sort of um, favorable option in that regard. Yeah, but. Um, I had a little look at the um the previous results from this fixture and Villa, um they've got a good they've had a good run against Brighton they've won the last four, um, and that's 
the Zerbi's Brighton and that's Potter's Brighton. Um, and because Villa are at home, I just fancy, I fancy a Villa win. Um, and I'm I'm going to look at Brighton's upcoming fixtures. They've got a tough run. So after Villa, they obviously go to Marseille in the um, Europa League, and then they've got Liverpool and Man City after that, and then Ajax in the Europa League. Um, so it's a tough run for it's a tough run for Brighton. So they they'd be hoping to get um, an important three points here. But yeah, I just fancy Villa to nick it. Yeah, they're two like quite fashionable sides at the moment, aren't they? There's a lot of props, both of them, for you know similar and different reasons as well. And I'll be interested to see what everyone's prediction is score wise here. I know you just said you fancy Villa to nick it, but that's interesting that Villa have won the last four because we've spoken about before how we feel like Brighton will batter the batter the poorer teams and they'll get right up for the big teams. And then there's that midsection that they struggle against, I um, aka West Ham this season. Where do Villa fit into that? Are they being thought of as a big club now and someone that Brighton are going to get right up for? Or do you think that could be another sticky wicket for them? So I think it will be a good gauge on where both clubs are. And they're probably quite evenly matched in terms of where they're thought of in the pecking order of the Premier League. They're probably both in that kind of sixth, seventh, eighth bracket. And it will be sort of the bragging rights between the two. Well, do you know what's really interesting? You know you know that graphic I sent you boys um, on the WhatsApp? Um with Unai Emery and Deserby's head-to-head records for Villa and Brighton. And actually, Emery's win percentage in the Premier League is 61% for Villa. And Deserby's win percentage for Brighton is 50%. So actually, Unai Emery is outperforming Deserby, but obviously Deserby's... I, I, they're both getting credit, but Deserby, in my opinion, is getting more credit than Unai Emery basically based off, mainly based off um, the, the way they're sort of, well, their identity and the way they're playing and their and their philosophy, etc. But actually, when you sort of drill down into the numbers, like Villa's Unai Emery are, are outperforming De Zerbi's Brighton, which, um, which you wouldn't have thought of, really, would you? Uh, I... So what are we saying? Are we saying smoke and mirrors De Zerbi? Or are we saying that... Unai Emery <laughs> under the radar as manager of the season. No, 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 no. It's just, it's just interesting. I think it's, he might be more under the radar, and I think that I've seen another stat that if you if you did a league table for twenty twenty three, which I guess is the same one where Chelsea are in the the bottom three, uh, uh, Aston Villa would be top four because obviously start of last season, I guess they didn't have Emery, and he's he's come in and got that sixty eight percent win record, I think, against. Um, Deserby's 50, but that surprised me a little bit. If he's had 38 games to Zerby and it's 50% win rate, that's 19 wins, isn't it? It seems like they don't, it doesn't seem like half their games that they've drawn or lost. That's um, that's an interesting stat that, and maybe you're right, Laura, it is a little bit of uh, smoke and mirrors of, of Deserby. But um, the other thing to remember there, though, Murph, is that we are still talking about Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is a selling football club. They, they have to sell all their best players every single year. And the reason that win percentage of 50%, which, by the way, is probably around about what Alex Ferguson was at Man United, is still very good. Yeah. It doesn't seem as good because we hold Brighton in such high regard and expect so much from them now that 50% win record seems a bit crap, particularly next to Unai Emery's fantastic 61%. So I'm sure those things will even themselves out. But let's not forget we're talking about Brighton here. I'm not sure, Tomo. I think you've said Villa to nick it, and Laurie said be interested to hear the scores. Laurie, what what's your score prediction for that one? 
Ooh. I'm going to go. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm going to go 3 2 Aston Villa. Oh, okay. I'm, okay. I'm going to. I'm going to go three-one Brighton. I think Villa is the type of side that they get really up for, a bit like that Newcastle display. Get really up for, see them as a big team, but are just a little bit better than them, um, and and go on and beat Villa. So yeah, I'm going to go. I'll go three-one. I'll go three-one Brighton away from home, uh, and they're in third place. So if Liverpool drop points against Tottenham, I think that will put Brighton up above them, which is incredible. But uh, yes, maybe Deserbre isn't a fraud. Um, but yeah, two two great games there: Spurs, Liverpool, Villa, Brighton. Um, move on to a couple of other fixtures from the uh, Prems. So, ninth place versus tenth place: United versus Palace. So, uh, United obviously played Palace midweek, second string v second string, and United um, were, were far too strong for them. But I think what will happen here, Tomo, is that United are going to bring back in Rashford, Bruno, Hodgson, and some of these players that impressed. Um, are just going to lose their place. Maybe Garnacho, Hannibal, uh, Martial obviously won't play if Hodgland does. It might be that Martinez comes back in for uh, Maguire. So I think there'll be two different sides. So I'm not sure we can read too much into the 3-0. No, I definitely don't think you can read too much into it, especially Palace's side, Dave. Um, they didn't start Eze, they didn't start, they didn't start Odson, Edward, and both and both of those players are their most sort of potent attackers and their biggest threats. Um, Eze actually created a few problems when he come on um, in the week. Uh, the sort of the recent the recent results at Old Trafford between these two are mixed. So in the last four games at Old Trafford in the Premier League, United have won two and Palace have won two, and the two games that Palace have won was under Roy Hodgson the first time that he was in charge, um, which was an interesting sort of stat I saw before the um, Carabao Cup game. So I thought potentially that Roy Hodgson's got some sort of voodoo um, like hold over Old Trafford, but obviously it didn't come to fruition in, in the Carabao Cup. Um, look, United sort of... That, that win can only breed confidence and... Casemiro and Mason Mount were the two biggest, and Sofian Amrabat were the, and they're all, they're all midfielders. I know Amrabat played fullback. They they were the biggest positives for me, and and if they can all play, and and if Casem like Casemiro was great last season, let like let's let's have it right. He he had a good last season. He's he's been poor this season um, to start off with, and I guess rightly criticised because he's one of our highest paid players. Um, but if he can get us going. And every time he plays well, we seem to play well. Um, so if he can play well, I predict a United win. Score? Um, let me just quickly have a look. I think I've gone 3-1. Yeah, 3-1. Laurie? Um, not, not really too much to add. Tom was the expert on Manchester United, and I'm sure they'll be rolled up listening to him there. I think it'd be good to see Rashford get on the score sheet and try and get back into some form. Um, oh, you know, he was so good, wasn't he, in... in in parts of last season or most of the last season. And before this season started, I thought he was an absolute shoo-in on the left-hand side for the England team come the Euros. But every game that passes, I think that keeps, get, is sort of getting further and further away from him. So I'd like to see Rashford on the score sheet and just a third win in a row. And then next next Monday, we'll be talking about back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back wins from Man United and everything will be forgotten and Eric Ten Hag will be the saviour again. I'll tell you one thing, just, um, just on United, that I'd quite like to see from Ten Hag is... 
Garnacho scored and took his chance. Don't you think it'll be a bit of a kick up the arse to Rashford to go, I'm staying with Garnacho on the left wing today? He scored midweek, looked lively, and give him a little bit of a. I mean, Rashford might not be the type of person that reacts well to that. Maybe he needs an arm round him and needs to be out there playing, and we'll see Palace at home as a game to grab a goal. But it'd be really interesting if uh, if Tenard did that. Same with Hannibal, he played well. I know you're not going to take Murph, Bruno. Can I just come in quickly? Yeah, go on. Eric Ten Hag's got enough enough on his plate. He doesn't need to be picking fights with one of like one of his best players. Um, Rashford, okay, he's not been at it fully this season, but in a couple of games, um, one or two sort of chances could have gone in, got a deflection here or there, and then you then all of a sudden it's like he's got three or four get goals out of six or seven games, and it's it's all rosy. So I don't think Ten Hag should be picking fights with players at the minute who he desperately needs because he's already got enough problems with your Antonis and your Jaden Sancho's etc etc yeah I couldn't agree more with that it's not the time to start playing silly buggers if he starts dropping Rashford I think he should be sacked outright <laughs> yeah forget forget I mentioned it I just think then like where that right wing position's available if you're Garnacho now who's just signed a new deal and Marcus Rashford's there who signed a new deal and is a complete ever-present for Man United in most games on that left wing and says that's his position. Can I just... Yeah, can I just... I'm On top of your point here, do you not think that that has gone out of the game a bit? You know, like, back in the day, like, Gary well, Neville... Was, they go down the outside. No, I'm saying... I'm saying youngsters playing out of position and being happy to play out of position because they want to do their bit for the team. Now it feels like Garnacho's just said to Ten Hag, I know I'm obviously completely speculation here, but it feels like if, and you, you, were just about to, you were just about to make this point, so maybe I've interrupted you, but if I was Garnacho, I'd be like, right, that right wing position is up for grabs. So I'm going to go to Ten Hag and say, play me right wing, I'm going to make it my own. Like, Darren, yeah. Fletcher, Darren Fletcher played right wing when he's the centre mid. Gary Neville played right back when he was the centre back, and and now he's like one of our our best right back ever. Do you know what I mean? It's like um, Jamie Carragher played right back at the start, and he was a centre back. J- um, Stephen Gerrard played right mid at the start, and he was the centre mid. Danny Murphy played right mid, and he was a centre mid. All these youngsters play out of position, yet it doesn't feel like they do it anymore because they're just like, well, I'm a left winger, so I'm going to play there. Yeah, that's that's the generational difference, though. You talk about your Gerrards and your Danny Murphys and your Jamie Carragher's. They were brought up not getting bullied, but getting a proper apprenticeship and making sure that they knew the value of what, what they were doing and how lucky they were to be there and what it meant to play for their clubs. These days, the players, from what I'm told, obviously haven't been in the camps, but it seems like they're sort of um, very gently brought up and told what position they're playing. And I think they, I think they've sort of get big heads a lot quicker these days. And Garnacho will probably be thinking to himself, well, no, if I don't play exactly where I want to here, someone else will buy me for a lot of money and I can go and earn lots of money somewhere else. And they just have a completely different attitude, which obviously looks bratty, doesn't it, next to comparing him to players like Gerard and Carragher and people like that. But it's just the way it is these days. You, don't, you very rarely get Darren Fletcher's at Man United anymore that will play anywhere. People just want to be brought up and played exactly where they did in their youth teams. I just think Garnacho, young lad, as Tomo says, not going to be playing at left back. I'd be in going right. Antonique's not playing. Sancho's not playing. I'll play out on wide right. Like I, wingers now don't seem to want to go down the outside and whip the ball in. Like you think Salah's played right wing, he's left footed. Mane was right footed, played on the left. You got 
Rashford out there who could only play on the left because he's right footed. Like back in the day, can, that would be Beckham and Giggs completely the other side of the pitch, wouldn't it? Because they'd have to yeah. be cutting in. They are they are different positions now, though, aren't they? Back yeah, in the yeah. day, they were right and left midfielders, and now they're attackers, aren't they? And they're judged on their goals. If you look at like um, Ryan Giggs is, I mean, he was there for an awful long time, but season per season, he wasn't getting like twenty goals like salaries. Do you know what I mean? And the yeah. the output that they're judged on is a lot different now, and that's probably they probably don't want to play out of position and lose that ability to come in on their strong foot and score because otherwise their stats will be looked at at the end of the season. They'll be out. That could be one thing in their in their defence. True. Yeah. Well, I'm I completely think I think United will win as well. I think it might be similar scoreline to Wednesday. Um yeah, I fancy Hodgson to get on the score sheet as well. And hopefully that that form that Casemiro showed midweek starts to pick up and he's back to the Casemiro we have had last season. Um and I know we've only seen sixty minutes and a couple minutes in the Allianz of uh, Amrabat, but yeah, he looks he looks a decent player and Mount Mount looked good as well. So long may that continue. Lauro, uh, Arsenal obviously had the draw with Spurs in the North London derby. Looks like a decent fixture to get back to winning ways going away to Bournemouth, albeit a couple injury concerns about Rice and Saka. Yeah, this is why I was a little bit disappointed on the last pod that we didn't um, go into Brighton Bournemouth because I just wanted to say, not trying to be negative for the sake of being negative, but I think Bournemouth are a bit of a myth. Like this manager that they've got that's come in, they, he seems to have got this reputation that, oh, yeah, no, they're playing really good football. It's just they keep having hard fixtures and it will start to swing for them. But at what point do you look at the table and think you've got the three promoted sides that everyone is sort of universally in agreement that have been a bit of a disaster? And then you've got Bournemouth on three points. I mean, they're below the likes of Everton, who I think have had an absolute shocker. So I think he's going to come under some pressure soon, um, the new guy in at Bournemouth, who leads you actually after back in the... Uh, back in the winter. I know he's got a good reputation, but sometimes I think these managers with the reputations can perceive themselves. If his name was Gary O'Neill and not something a little bit more exotic, I think he'd be bang under pressure now. So big game for Bournemouth. They need to start picking up some points, but I, I see that as a quite a comfortable Arsenal win. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think Arsenal will win uh, handsomely. I don't think that they will risk Rice or Saka if, if aren't 100% with other fixtures to come. And um, I think you're you're spot on about Bournemouth. I think they'd be under way more pressure if any of the promoted sides had any shown any sort of form. It's like there's three sides in the relegation zones on one point, so Bournemouth are kind of looking okay. But if if Burnley had picked up wins like we thought they were, and Sheffield United had managed to hold on a couple of the games they had, then Bournemouth would be in the relegation zone and not looking very good in games either. And I think he would be under a lot more pressure. But he's going to have to start turning the tide uh, somehow in that. Tomo. Yeah, I don't I don't think that this is the weekend that they'll be turning the tide. I've had a look at their their head-to-head record and Arsenal have won 11 of the last 13 games against Bournemouth and drawn twice and only won once. Uh sorry, only lost once. Um obviously Bournemouth haven't won in the Premier League this season like you guys are saying. They are coming off the back of a 2-0 um win in the Carabao Cup, so a bit of confidence maybe, but and obviously, like you say, Arsenal have got some injuries. Um, Timber, Partey, Martinelli, Trossard, and potentially Saka and Rice, which is, that's basically, well, apart from maybe Trossard, five starters and then Trossard coming off, coming off the bench. But um, yeah, look, I think Arsenal will win. And I think Arsenal will win comfortably 2-0. Yeah, full outs there for Arsenal. Um, another side 
down there against the side at the top. Wolves are at home to Man City. Um, maybe made slightly more interesting by the fact that Rodri suspended. Uh, they had midweek game against um, Newcastle, which they obviously lost. Calvin Phillips got a start. Uh, didn't look great, but be interesting to see what their midfield is. Can either of you give me any sort of hope for that, Loro? Any any chance for Wolves at all? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh. I think you're right. the The absence of Rodri is a big one. I think their midfield just looks ten times worse without him in it because he's so good. They've just lost the, for the first time this season um, to Newcastle away from their home. second string. Huh? Their second string. Yeah, Manchester City lost the game. <laughs> and they're playing a Wolverhampton Wanderers team who I think are probably due a win for their good performances. Every time I've watched them, they've looked pretty good and they've just lacked the cutting edge. So, am I going to say it? Yeah, I think I am. Oh, God. I think Erling Haaland will draw a blank. He won't be my captain this weekend and you can check that um, on Monday. And I fancy Wolves to win the game 1-0. Can I wholeheartedly disagree with Loro, but um, fair play to your bravery for that shout. Um, just a couple of stats for you, Loro, to potentially make you regret that shout. City have won their last six in a row against Wolves, and um, they won both of the fixtures, the corresponding fixtures, last season, three zip. Um, Wolves were 2-0 up in the week against um, our boy Kieran McKenna and Ipswich. And uh, the championship side brought it back and they won 3-2 in the end and qualified for the next round. So that'll be a devastating loss for the second string of Wolves. I'm not, I haven't seen the, the lineup for Wolves, but I'm assuming it was the second string. Oh, it's terrible. Basically the youth team. Yeah. All right. Okay. Anyway, so uh, basically on the basis of everything I've just said, I predict a Man City win 3-0 and Haaland brace. Everyone, Captain Harland. Never not Captain Harland. <laughs> yeah, and um, I know Loro's not Captain Harland, but just had a quick look at our mini league, and uh, yeah, there's there's better players out there to be taking advice from on captaincy. Um, I'm hoping that this is one of those few games that City do slip up. We spoke, I think, even on the last pod or the pod before, where we say they have those Palace games where they lose, or the Brentford game, albeit the title was done. I'm just really hoping that that can be one of those fixtures uh, um, and to just breathe a little bit of life into the Premier League. And why not? Wolves have looked okay against Man United, looked okay against Liverpool, not taking their chances. Can this potentially be the game that uh, that they do? And it would be amazing for the Premier League. But yeah, I mean, I can't really see past City or that Haaland, which ain't a massive shout, but I'm going to go uh, City 3-0 as well. Guys, uh, so Super Sunday, only one game, actually. Bit of a mid-table battle, but uh, two teams, again, one that we spoke about quite a bit and another that I quickly want to touch on, Nottingham Forest versus Brentford. Um, Brentford lost again last night. Thomas Frank was on Monday Night Football recently, and I think we all kind of agreed how impressive he was. But I believe their league forms now six points from six games out the Carabao Cup. Obviously, Ivan Tony's not there, but this is goals... Um, looked like they dried up. He missed a few against Arsenal yesterday. Um, I wonder if he's just start, starting to think, you know, what's going wrong there. And personally, I'll go on this one. I fancy Forrest to uh, to win quite comfortably at home there. Laura? Um, 
sounds like you've got a bit of an agenda against Thomas Frank. I've heard murmurs from you on along these sort of lines recently. It's just a tough <laughs> league, isn't it? It's a tough league. You you can you can have that kind of start to the Premier League season. They are without their top scorer for no fault of their own. Um, and I disagree. I, did you just say Forest to win? Yeah, I fancy them quite handsomely. Yeah, I, I'm going to go against that. I fancy Brentford to come back. They're the sort of team that just when you think they are going down that route of, oh, have they sort of peaked and has the bubble burst, they'll come back and surprise you. So, no, I'm going to go for Thomas Frank's boys um, at the weekend. You're right. I think he was quite impressive on uh, Monday Night Football. Very charismatic. You can see how his players would uh, buy into him, although he did seem to give quite an, an awful lot away um, regards to the um, tactics that he adopts. So I'm not sure if uh, other Premier League managers watch Monday Night Football, but maybe they learn a thing or two from that. But uh, no, I fancy I fancy Brentford to win that game. I've got every faith that they're a good Premier League side, but it's not uncommon to go through phases of of poor results because it's such a hard league. Yeah, do you know what? Do you know what's funny about that was um, obviously he went on Monday Night Football, and obviously unanimous. Un- we are all unanimous in our. Um, praise for how he come across but the fact that they went and lost their next game it got and I know Twitter is not the real world so don't like don't take everything take everything with a pinch of salt off Twitter but um, the fact he got slated for like giving away his tactics etc etc and you know what it's just it's just a sign of how quickly things can change in the Premier League like Two, if you lose two games in a row or three games in a row, all of a sudden it's like, wow, they're massively struggling and that manager might get the boot. And it's like, but I am with you, Murph. <laughs> I am with you. I do, I do fancy Forrest for this game. Um, I I, yeah, I just think I just think Brentford are sort of sliding into a bit of a, a funk and um, there's nothing they can do about it. And, uh, and obviously, <laughs> <laughs> and when you come up against... When you come up against Tewo um, Awanyi and uh, my boy Morgan Gibbs White, it's um, it's curtains. Yeah, it really is. You can have all the stats in the world, but I mean, so we, what is it? Brentford are falling into an un, un, unsavable pit, and Forest are just going to do them. Do you know where Forest are in the table? Twelve feet thirteen. Forest are a point ahead on a minus two goal difference, which is two worse than Brentford. So pretty even game, to be honest with you. And I'm pretty sure there is something Thomas Frank can do to save it. And I think it will start at the City Ground on Sunday. But um, yeah, weird vibes from you two building this narrative against Thomas Frank. I've not seen that anywhere else. So yeah, weird agenda. Yeah, not I'm not his fan. I'm not his biggest fan. I don't know why. Uh, I'm to be honest. I'm sure in a couple of weeks' time they'd have won a few games. I'll be waxing lyrical about Thomas, but. That's how my opinions change. Um, quick look through the rest of the Premier League then, guys. So eighth place, Newcastle, uh, post 19th place, Burnley. Obviously, Newcastle got a good result in the Champs League. Blue Sheffield United away, one against City there. I think they'll fancy a home win there. I think Vincent Company probably needs to get something um, or very soon needs to start getting something. But I really fancy Newcastle there. Um, Everton versus Luton, 15th place versus 18th. Uh, Luton again. I, I I won't go through what I think about them, but I think they're down already. Um, and Everton just seem to be turning a little bit of a corner. Laurie, there was a photo, wasn't there, of Jack Harrison and Dominic Calvert Lewin? And yeah. he's a couple goals now. And I know you're a fan of Jack Harrison. You think those two could potentially turn their yeah. fortunes around? Yeah, I think that's a tangible goal threat, isn't it? You've got you talk about wingers not wanting to be wingers anymore. Jack Harrison is one. 
Jack Harrison is one, and he, you know, Patrick Bamford, particularly in that first season in the Premier League, loved um, getting on the end of his his deliveries. He's got a brilliant first touch, a brilliant whip into the box, and when you've got a striker like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who loves attacking and arriving on balls like that, that's a proper tangible threat to add to what they had before, which was literally just Decore out of position in number 10, trying to feed balls through to the uh, former KFC employee Beto. So, yeah, I can see if those two can stay fit, I, I can see um, I can see a way that Everton can start scoring goals and winning games, to be fair to them. Hopefully Everton with Dice just go 4-4 fucking 2. Beto, DCL, two big men, Mixer, Jack Harrison whipping it in. <laughs> and uh, Decore is a goal for it. And that, that might just save their season. Uh, a couple other games, boys. West Ham host Sheffield United, 7th place versus 20th. Um, I'm trying to decide between Onana and Ariola actually, for my uh, goalkeeper for for the weekend. And I might go Ariola based on them playing Sheffield United. Um, but I think Heckenbottom probably needs to get a result at West Ham to keep his job. Um, and I am thinking as well about bringing in uh, James Ward-Prowse to my fantasy team as well and getting him in on the uh, points that he's been getting. That's actually uh, gone. That's actually one of those games where I just think that Sheffield United would be happy just losing 1-0. <laughs> do, you know, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Just like, just stop the rot. Um, they've never... How is losing 1-0 stopping the rot? No, but I mean, well, obviously they lost the last game 8-0, so that, that would be stopping the rot in terms of goals, like shipping goals. Yeah, the pundits would come out and be like, oh, a spirited display from Sheffield United. But that's like hecking bottom if he loses, we'll be gone, won't he? Uh... Losing 1-0 at West Ham is stopping the rot. I'm going to draw plaudits. <laughs> Honestly, you two have lost your heads today. Sheffield no, no, United will be looking at that game. Paul Heckenbottom and Sheffield United be looking at that game thinking, fuck me, we need to win. Fuck me, we need to win. And West Ham is the sort of team you need to try and beat. There's a lot of teams better than them. You know, you can't ju- they're not just going to be able to not, beat Luton this season. Laura, I'm, not, I'm not sat here saying that they're going to not try and they're going to be happy to lose. I'm just I saying... I accuse you of that. <laughs> I picked up on a statement you made that was absolutely farcical. We can move on. <laughs> can I can I distance myself from that comment as well? All I said is I could picture the pundit saying it was a spirited display in a 1-0 loss type thing from where they were against 8-0. I didn't say that they'd be buzzing with it. Um, guys, yeah, well, West Ham are going to win, aren't they? And Heckenbottom's going to be gone. Um, and then the final one, Monday Night Football, uh, two teams. Bit, is it Westland? Yeah, Westland and Derby. Uh, Fulham versus Chelsea, 11th versus 14th, but two sides are struggling to uh, get a striker to put the ball in the back of the net. Just very quick predictions on Fulham-Chelsea. Nil-nil. Yeah, nil-nil. Yeah, full house. Well done, boys. Uh, cool, and that's that's the uh, Prem. And just a final point on the Prem, uh, anything from a fantasy point of view from a transfer that you've made or decided on? I've brought out I've, I've taken Chilwell out, but I mean, I was going to do that anyway, but then he got injured in, in midweek. So, yeah, it's a no-brainer for me. And what's that? I brought in Anthony... Go on, Laura. I was just going to say, I brought in Anthony Gordon. Um, really impressive this season. Harvey Barnes is injured. I think he'll get lots more game time, and I think he might have a streak of goals in him soon. So, yeah, quite what cheap as well. Price? Yeah, I was going to say, what was price for Gordon? Five, I think he's 5.6. Okay, so he's gone up 0.1 then from what probably was 5.5. Yeah, that's quite a shrewd move now. Harvey Barnes is out. He's, he was guaranteed game time anyway by how his form was. but yeah. And they got Burnley at home as well. So 
Yeah, nice. Um, Tomo, I was just going to say on the uh, Chilwell, I brought Chilwell out uh, straight after the Newcastle game and put Kieran Trippier in because I had some, I think I had a million pounds spare in there, which I know can sometimes be the horse's bolted when a defender goes and gets big points. But any names that you've swapped him with? Uh, Carl Walker. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. Well, we'll see how the weekend goes for the Prem anyway, boys. Um, we'll move on to the Championship. Laura, I think I'm right in saying lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, 15th place Southampton versus 6th place Leeds. Yeah. Um, mm. Leeds are favourites. We're playing scintillating football. Southampton, Russell Martin's on the brink. Southampton haven't won in four. In fact, I think they've lost four in a row. They've conceded about 200 goals. So what do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Yeah, I, mean, I know what you think is going to happen now. Yeah, it's just Leeds have a habit about like Southampton have got some quality players like your Tay Adams, just um, your Adam Armstrongs, even your Joe Aribos, lots of decent little players that haven't been performing. And Leeds have a knack of meeting these teams just on the wrong day. Um, and I can imagine them to click a little bit on Saturday. So I really hope we win, but I think we're going to have to score some goals to do it because I can see Southampton having some joy. Um, Lauro, can that's I, probably a bit of a desperate one for Russell Martin. Can I give you some uh, um, some positivity about that about that fixture? Um, Southampton have the worst XG conceded in the whole of the championship, so you will get chances. You're actually almost guaranteed to get chances, and with with the players you've got, um, Dan James on form, Pirro obviously on form, Rutter. Like you say, like you said in the last podcast, looking like a thirty million man. Come on, man, you're gonna win. No, no, no. I, I, I do agree. I anticipate us winning. I just, it's just got all the ingredients of one of those horrible like coupon buster type moments, and it, it leads us so often on the end of those. But I am just hoping we'll be too good. And uh, you know, I, I love the expected goals against stats, and uh, hopefully, Joel <laughs> Pirro can uh, capitalize on those Saturday. You're right, actually, aren't you? Lunchtime kickoff as well. Don't back the early fixture because there's normally an upset and people probably have leads in there in their acker thinking get that off to a nice start ready for the three o'clock. So, yeah, 1-0 Southampton. Just, just quickly, though, can obviously, if Leeds win that, they've got QPR, Bristol City, Norwich, Stoke, Huddersfield, and then they play Leicester. And that's a sort of decent run of fixtures. I know it's obviously every game in a championship's tough. Decent run of fixtures... And if they can get to that Leicester tie, sort of in touching distance of them, then you, then all of a sudden it's like a, a title race between those two. Uh, it's a title race anyway. It's a title race anyway. They they need that head start that they've got now because they are they are definitely going to have a dip in form at some point. Everyone always does in the championship, and I'm just hoping we've got ours out of the way early whilst we were in that sort of transitional phase. And like I've said on the last few pods, I just see us soaring. But Southampton away, just on paper, it looks horrible. And everything about it looks horrible. So hopefully I'm just overthinking it. I probably am. And look, well, I've said it before, we're a very, very good team with some good players now. So like, yeah, hopefully we can win. Yeah. Like you said at the start about United fans, it's just, just need Leeds fans to have a bit of positivity about their side. Don't you, Tomo, sometimes. But... <laughs> uh, so spoke to, spoke about two relegated sides there in Southampton and Leeds. Um, and Tomo, you mentioned the Leicester being a big game for Leeds in a few weeks. They host Blackburn first versus 14th place. Um, as Laurie says, they're due, due a, a slip up somewhere. 
Um, Blackburn obviously in 14th, but scoring goals, um, score five midweek in the Carabao Cup. I think they lost 4-3 to Ipswich, but obviously scored three goals there. So uh, maybe a potential shock on, on the cards there. Um, second place Ipswich go to Huddersfield, who are in 17th. Uh, they grabbed a late equaliser, Huddersfield. Uh, were they Monday night football? I think they were. Um, get Darren Moore um, a point to start with. But yeah, I think Ipswich will obviously be looking to go there and get all three, but they might be having that little new manager bounce Huddersfield, so potentially a, a slip up there as well. And then we touched on Hull, who've been flying uh, um, under Rossinia. They host 12th place Plymouth, Huller up into fourth. Uh, again, Hull would probably be looking to that win that one, but Plymouth did score six against Norwich. But, I mean, you can probably go down the whole of the fixture list in the championship and see good fixtures with some sort of subplots in regards to positions in it. But they look particularly tasty, some of those fixtures there. So, sure, we'll get loads of action. And uh, Do you know what's... You... So... Go on, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you know what's no, go so... On. so good about the championship is, like, the you're reeling off these fixtures... And I'm just sat here thinking, like, thinking in my head about, like, potentially my Saturday Acker or something. And I'm just like, I can't pick any of them. And no. it's always the same in the championship, is it? It's like the informed teams away from home against a good, solid championship side. And it's just like, and I think this season more than ever, the championship is, it's like sort of, I know it's not the top five leagues in the world, like your Bundesliga, etc. But I think it's the sixth best league in the world behind those, the big five. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right to be honest. What's the what would be the sixth if not the Saudi league now? Yeah, exactly. What's the fifth? What's the fifth? Well, league yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So league league one in France, I'd prefer the championship over that. I prefer league one EFL than that. <laughs> I, I think championship is probably the fifth. To be honest with you, but you just say they're like Hull will probably be looking to beat Plymouth. You can't. No, no. that's probably quite an even game. Like there's like five points between them after eight games. Like. There's a lot read into the championship table. Um, Tomo's useless brother, Toby, texted me the other day saying, are you still confident on Leeds as a nine-point gap? Well, <laughs> yeah, we've played six games. Like, we've still got another 38 and we've got to play them twice. So don't get too hung up on the table yet. Um, but you're absolutely right. Anyone could beat anyone in the championship normally. And uh, yeah, hard to well, call. As you say, Tomo, when you're thinking about your Aka, you don't normally see a championship game, do you, where people are two odds on at home or anything like that. You're normally sort of around evens. Then if a side is really heavily odds on, they tend to go and get turned over, don't they, by like Rotherham or something like that. So it's a bit of an Aka buster, the championship, but great, great league. Uh, on to League One, EFL League One. Um, so couple of tasty fixtures here as well, actually. Uh, third place, Stevenage hosts uh, second place, Oxford. That's a really big game. Um, Portsmouth, who are first, they go to 21st place, Wigan. But Wigan would actually be 11th without the minus eight points that they've got. Port Vale, who are in fourth, they host seventh place, Bolton. Obviously, we spoke about Port Vale's heroics in the uh, Carabao Cup, but obviously doing well in the league as well. Fifth place, Barnsley hosts 14th. Uh, place Blackpool and then Lincoln uh, who are in 13th host Cheltenham in 24th which maybe doesn't stand out as a fixture but everyone now is just desperate to see when Cheltenham are going to score their first league goal um, but yeah an another some big games in League One as well but uh, Laura you obviously have touched on Oxford before as I say standout fixture them going to Stevenage but they look like they're flying Oxford Yeah they're playing some good stuff as well and we talk about 
the championship not being very predictable, I kind of feel like League One is. I, I kind of think like it's starting to shape up now. I mean, the likes of Port Vale, who I know I touched on before, I think will go away. But Portsmouth, Oxford, Stevenage, Barnsley, Bolton, Peterborough, Derby, sort of making six or seven up of the top nine. That's probably who it will be. And it will be probably the games against each other that will decide it. But I think Portsmouth look ominous. They just seem to win every week and they haven't lost in the league yet. And uh, yeah, Oxford are, are winning and they're playing some really nice stuff as well. I bet their fans are chuffed with that. We've mentioned in the past what a good appointment that was. And they brought some players in that are uh, performing, particularly, uh, I'll say it again, Ruben Rodriguez. And uh, big Steve Evans doing a good job at Stevenage. He only got promoted this year and they're right at the top of the table, third place. So yeah, interesting one to keep an eye on. But I think there's, um, I think that league is shaping into what something like what it will look like at the end of the season, minus one or two. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to see if Cheltenham will score at Central Bank at the weekend. Yeah, and it wouldn't be a League One roundup about us touching on Paul Warren's derby. So they, <laughs> who's he they, got? They got Cambridge ninth v tenth, three points, and they could go up into sixth. A loss against Cambridge, and they could be down into sixteenth. So bit of a sign of league one there but yeah home to Cambridge keep the form going Paul let's get you up into those playoffs and if you could go up it would help her better put on in the pre-season so yeah yeah best of luck Warnie <laughs> right boys we move on to league two then um top of the table Notts County go to 20th place Colchester they'll obviously be looking to uh pick up all three there a really exciting game uh, Gillingham second versus Mansfield third, and Tomo a bit of a bit of a stat on Mansfield. Yeah, Mansfield Town are the only club in um, the EFL yet to lose a single game in all competitions this season. Um, obviously, still in the Carabao Cup after um, winning, so they find themselves in the last sixteen of the Carabao Cup, which is great. They're sitting in third in League Two. Um, they're twelve games unbeaten this season. Um, Nigel Clough has obviously got them playing well. A uh, couple of XG stats for you, Lauro. Mansfield of, um, are the second highest XG expected goals in the league, only behind Wrexham. And we know, obviously, Wrexham are very good going forward. And um, they're third in the league for highest percent percentage of possession. So um, playing, attacking, positive football, um, only sort of positive things to say about Cloughy's men. Yeah, it's uh, it. I tell you what, though, that's a real test for them to remain unbeaten going to Gillingham. Um, as say second v third, so going to be a massive game. But Laura Gillingham aside, I think that you in pre-season tipped as well, didn't you, to to be up there and to go up in in one of the Ackers. Yeah, well, Gillingham like at Christmas last season, they were like bottom. <clears throat> Neil Harris is still the manager, but something happened like either with the ownership or some money came into the club and all of a sudden it turned and towards the end of last season their form was promotion um sort of caliber and i just fancied it to kick on and it has done the only achilles hill they've got is they are struggling to score goals um they're only winning by the odd goal and and sometimes it's turning into defeats because they can't take the chances so they are going to have to sort that out but yeah they're a really good outfit that have um sort of started their season in January, if that makes sense, and they're just pushing on from there. So, yeah, I fancy them to go from strength to strength, to be fair. Good stuff. And then a couple of uh, other games there. So, fourth place, Crawley go uh, host bottom of the table, Sutton. So, looks like Crawley should be in everyone's Ackers, and they're in really good form at the minute. And then a really interesting fixture as well. Wrexham in seventh place take on sixth place crew. Um, 
Wrexham will have got home advantage um, and will be looking to to win that. But obviously they're coming off the back of a 5-0 loss, I think, against Stockport and crew in some good form. So, yeah, that'll be an intriguing fixture. And Tomo, you've uh, you've been watching some of the new documentary, haven't you? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I, um, I know Wrexham at the minute, they're getting a bit of stick for how much... Um coverage they get and how much um, attention they get from especially from Sky Sports um but yeah I have watched the latest um episodes of the docu of the documentary Welcome to Wrexham on Disney um this is not an ad by the way and um <laughs> and I just wanted to bring up um the episode 2 of the latest season I don't know if you boys have watched it it's an episode it's a shorter episode than usual but it's an episode um completely dedicated to autism and how the club deals with autism at the club um and i don't know if you boys knew this but paul paul mullen their star yeah yeah, their star striker he gets a lot of stick for going to wrexham in the first place because he dropped a couple of divisions didn't he but you learn in a documentary that um his son actually his son albie suffers from autism and the main reason why he wanted to move back to back to wrexham because it's close to liverpool which is obviously where he's from um albeit he probably does get a good wage as well but and that helps but he's he's close to um he's close to his home and he's close to his son which was really nice and the um the documentary and the episode was sort of focused on a, on a, on our Wrexham super fan Millie who also had autism and it sort of it touched on her relationship with Paul Mullen and um his son and sort of it was quite an emotional watch, to be honest. I can't lie. I was sat there and there was um, I was welling up a little bit. It was really nice. And it was a nice, maybe it was all PR and a cynic in me, potentially is it, all, it is all PR, but it was just really nice to see. And then just an- another point about an episode, um, the next episode, I believe it was, the the owners, the Wrexham owners, Ryan, um, Ryan Reynolds, they were talking about... Um, they basically messaged Knox County, a Knox County fan group last year, um, obviously because both of those teams are going for the title. And they messaged the Knox County fan group basically saying they want an interview with them to say, like, um, just to basically talk about the rivalry, I guess, going for the title. And do you know what the Knox County fan group <laughs> replied? Piss off. No, shove your shite documentary up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which yeah. I thought was quite funny. But yeah, I just wanted to touch on on that. And um, yeah, kudos to Wrexham for everything they're doing at the minute. It's, um, yeah, it's well, positive. That that thing with Paul Mullen, like people might try and be cynical about that, about the, them showing that on a documentary. But you see similar like with like things that Jack Grealish does. And you go onto Twitter, don't you? And people are like, why are you filming it? It's like, well, he's not filming it, is he? Like, what do you want him to do? Just walk past people and not engage with them. So... Damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah, so. and do, do you know what? Um, and if you actually do watch the episodes, Paul Mullen, he talks about his experiences as a dad with an autistic son and his emotions are so raw and he, he does cry quite a lot in the episode, to be fair. But it's it's just so touching just to see a bloke. He doesn't seem that bothered about the wins and losses and the goals. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He, his main focus is his son, and it was just a nice episode. And I just wanted to sort of point people in the direction of that if they wanted to watch it. Yeah, and that's available on Disney Plus, but other streaming services are available. <laughs> uh, but yeah, nice touch, Tomo. Um, so yeah, hopefully Wrexham um, 
continue their winning ways against Crew. I, I, I'd like to see them kind of uh, up in amongst it. And if Notts County are top as well, it'd be great to see their fixtures have some uh, meaning to them again this season, especially if there's this uh, rivalry that seems to have been created out of last year. Uh, and Laura, just to quickly touch on, obviously you've got Southampton leads at lunchtime. Will that be watching that at the pub and then straight up to YTFC for the FA Cup game? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know whether I'll be watching it at the pub, but it'll be Southampton Leeds and then straight up to Yeovil against Didcot, a team I've never heard of in my life. So I wouldn't be able to give you much insight into that other than last time we played a lower down team in Stoneham. Mark Cooper put out a full strength 11 um, and I expect him to do the same again to keep the momentum going. But one thing that's really annoying about being in the National League South um, is that every other game now is an FA Cup game because there's so many like preliminary rounds, which we've never had to deal with before. Um, so it's quite annoying because like last week we beat Hampton in the in the league. It'd be nice to go and have a league game now and sort of push on the momentum of that. But hopefully we'll beat the likes of Didcot like we should do and just build even more before the league returns the next week, which is our bread and butter and what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, Didcot are in the same league as Dorchester, who are close to us, who are in the Southern Prem, and they got beat uh, on Saturday, actually, um, 3-1 away at Dorchester. So um, I think they're only one division below Yeovil's Conference South to Southern Prem, I think that is. But um, yeah. Yeovil dispatched Dorchester pre-season, didn't they? So I think Yeovil, will, with now that all the fitness is up and they're proper into the season, they'll have far too much for Didcot. And then the FA Cup dream is well and truly alive as we move closer to the first round. Right, boys, time for a bit of a difficult conversation. So uh, spin the wheel. So we've done four weeks of it. I think we started with goalkeepers, went to midfielders, defenders, and we did forwards. Um, another week where none of us have been able to get above three points, with four, even with strikers. That means through five game weeks none of us have been able to go above 12 points, which shows our FPL knowledge. Uh, but if honest, it's a load of shit. <laughs> You've not enjoyed it. I've not been enjoying it. And I think it's time to go. And I think we come up with a new segment. Uh, you both agreed with that? 100%. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a nice idea, wasn't it? But let's be honest, absolute shambles. Yeah, hands up. We got it wrong. Um, but we move on. And we've got our brains together, haven't we? And we've come up with a new segment. And what we're going to do is we're going to do the pyramid pod treble. So rather than spin the wheel and us pick a player, we're going to pick a team each week. And then we're going to create a treble. Uh, we'll tell you what the odds are and how much uh, we'll go off for £10 stake returns. Um, we'll give you a bookmaker's odds just live based on what it is. But obviously there are other bookmakers available. You might be able to get better odds elsewhere. Uh, and we can just keep a tab out of the Akers and see if we can build a bit of a pot and some cash for our listeners. So, um, Lauro, you can kick us off. Who's your team for the inaugural Pyramid Pod treble? Um, well, one good... Th I mean, I don't know why I'm saying this because I'm a terrible better, but one good thing <laughs> to do, I always think, is bet against the teams that are doing poorly. And I think Alex Neal at Stoke is one game away from being sacked. I think he might be sacked next week if he loses to Bristol City at the weekend. And I think he will lose to Bristol City at the weekend. I think Nigel Pearson's doing a good job with a nice blend of some homegrown youthful players there mixed in with the experience of the likes of Andy Wyman and Matty James and um, Cal Naismith, players like that. 
Um, and at the at Ashton Gate, I was just really surprised to see Bristol City thirteen to ten. I thought they'd be probably evens or maybe even um, maybe even worse. So, yeah, I think that's really good odds, and I think that's a bit of a banker to be honest with you. Stoke are absolutely useless, and they're going to need to freshen up the manager. I'm pretty sure next week. Right, that has gone into the bet slip. Tomo, come to you next. Okay, yeah. So my I'm going to go for Preston um, at home to West Brom. Um, we've we've spoke about Preston's um, cracking start to the season, haven't we? They've won six out of their eight games and and drawn twice. Um, West Brom, on the other hand, so so in the championship at the minute. They're thir- they're sitting in thirteenth and they haven't won in their last four games. Um, so they travel to Deepdale, bang out of form, um, coming up against Ryan Lowe's men. Um, I can only see a Preston win, and I think. I think I'm right in thinking the odds were what ten to eleven on um on Skybet. No, they're better than that actually, uh, Tomo. They are above evens. They're seven to five to win at home to West Brom. Bristol okay. uh, City are thirteen to ten. So yeah, yeah, that that takes us up to about four and a half to one uh, before my selection. My selection is going to be Exeter um, at home to Northampton. So Exeter's odds are twenty-one to twenty, so just a shade above evens, but. Exeter obviously uh, beat Luton in the Carabao Cup in the week, so they'll be buoyed by a win against the Premier League opposition. Uh, they're in sixth place, so they're in the playoffs, and Northampton are in 18th place on seven points. Northampton have only scored six goals uh, and shipped nine. Exeter have scored uh, 10 goals. Yeah, they're in they're in good form um, in the league, albeit lost to Oxford last time out. They're a strong side, but I really fancy them at home to Northampton. Um, and so, yeah, they're going to be me. So, I'll put them into the bet slip. Uh, and yeah, I said we'll base it off a £10 stake. That's 10 and a half to one. So if you put 10 of the King's finest pounds on there, that will return around about £110, uh, £113.16 on Skybet to be precise. But as I say, other bookmakers, you might be able to get slightly better odds and return a bit more. But that is going to be the first treble. Uh, and we will see how that goes. And Tomo has actually just messaged a really nice gesture and said that if his bet wins, he will be don- donating half to a charity of the pod's choice. So a really nice touch from Tomo there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, if uh, if the ACA can win, then that will be £55 going to a charity of the pod's choice. So uh, a real Good man, cut. Tomo. Thank you, Tomo. Boys, that's all we got time for. Uh, pleasure as always. We'll be back on Monday where we will review all of the Premier League, EFL and FA Cup action and we will see how the first Pyramid pod has gone. But have a great weekend, chaps. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Cheers. One, two, three.